A Year in Review, 2018. I feel like I should start off this year review by talking about myself and how I did this year. And honestly, this year was a very interesting year for me. It was a great year for development, exploration. I was exposed to a lot of new ideas. I got to travel around the world, got to see Hollywood Boulevard and Times Square, and really got opened my mind to some new possibilities and learned a lot about who I am and what I want to do in life. I mean, a big personal step for me was just putting myself out there and starting this podcast and exposing myself to criticism for the first time, really, on the internet. I mean, honestly, before this, I really haven't been had that much exposure on social media, and so coming back to this has been a real game-changer for me. Speaking of getting the podcast started, I think it's time for this episode's sponsor. I just recently celebrated Christmas with my family, which was great. Even though we didn't get as many presents this year thanks to budget cuts, um, I really enjoyed it more than I have previous Christmases where I've gotten a lot of gifts just because it's fun just to spend time with your family, which is really what the holidays are supposed to be all about. Which, speaking of the holidays, I'm right now with, I'm in the period leading up to New Year's after Christmas, and that's really what I wanted to talk about here, just to look back on 2018 and speak with the whole two of you who are listening to me talk from my bedroom closet about, you know, what happened this year, because it was a fairly eventful year, I feel. But as I was looking back on this year, I really couldn't come up with anything unique about it, anything that really stood out in my mind until I really started thinking about it, which is really why I just wanted to collect my thoughts and share how I felt at the end of the year. Oh, where to start? I mean, let's just take it from the beginning, shall we? We started the year off with Logan, that fight totally wasn't staged Paul and his beautiful antics in the Japanese forest, observing of local culture. Moving up from there, we had the Tide Pod incident. I do find it weird how we had two viral incidences of people involving people killing themselves or almost killing themselves within the very start of the year, which really shows the turn that this year was going to take. But the biggest similarities between the two were just the idiots involved. I'm just going to say right now, if you thought eating Tide Pods was a good idea, you're retarded. And if you are subscribed to Logan Paul, you're also retarded. Anyone who can't see through his pompous, douchebaggery, fake-ass attitude deserves to get nut-checked right in the balls. But speaking of which, when did we start to get this culture where douchebaggery was considered a positive thing? I mean, people these days complain that there's no good men left in the world, but, I mean, you can't really complain that there isn't any good men left in the world when all you idealize is pompous douchebags. I mean, the guy literally filmed a suicide victim for views. If that doesn't scream shameless, money-grabbing piece of shit, I don't know what does. And the fact that this guy still has millions of fans, the fact that kids look up to this guy, I think, really shows where this current generation is headed. The fact that people, young people are idolizing the most morally reprehensible characters ever invented. Okay, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but you get my point. I mean, just look at how many celebrities got ousted in Hollywood this year from the Me Too movement. I mean, I think it goes to show how much we've begun to idolize the worst sorts of people that our society has to offer. And really, that's telling of why we have so many problems that we do. I mean... 
antidepressants are more common in places like New York or London than they are in places like Shanghai where there's pollution everywhere, which is ridiculous to think that mental illness is more of a problem in the West than it is anywhere else. Honestly, I think there's an illness in Western society where we've grown complacent and it's causing us to rot from the inside out. We're starting to idealize mental illness and the abnormal as the ideal while espousing what's traditionally been held up as the standard for happiness for the last 200 years. In fact, longer than that. And If the election of Donald Trump proves anything, it's that people are tired of the same old bullshit and they'll take any solution, even if it's coming from the former host of Celebrity Apprentice. Brexit and the yellow vest protest in France really go to show that people in the middle working class are just tired of being overlooked by the elites who seem to completely forget about us. I mean, the people who grow the food that ends up on everybody's plates and the people who make the cars everyone drives, the people who drill for the, the petroleum that everybody uses, the people who work at the electrical plants that power your house. I mean, the most important people in our society, the cornerstones, the people who world, the world wouldn't work without are the ones who are being overlooked most by politicians these days. And honestly, to re I kind of support the riots in France because it's people saying they've had enough of the BS and honestly, more power to them. And on top of that note, the two-party system is absolutely screwing this country over because people are more concerned about reaffirming their own side's beliefs than they are about finding actual working solutions. I mean, we've reached a point in history where people are more concerned with defending a lie that somebody from their own side puts out than they are about finding the objective truth and solving problems for reason and finding solutions. And I think that's really sad. That's why we have this political divide, and that's why our society seems to be in a cultural civil war right now, because people just simply can't work together, nor can they tolerate the ideas that somebody else simply disagrees with them on something. And would you look at that? Only a few minutes in, and I've already gone into a full-blown political rant in a video that I swore wasn't going to be political. Well, politics are a topic for another day. This is supposed to be about the year itself, and with that in mind, let's start talking about movies this year. And honestly, 2018 was a pretty great year for film. In fact, it kind of had what I would call the horror movie revival. The genre went from being fairly stagnant and dead to actually doing something different this year, even if it was simply getting back to where it left off when it went down the trail of jump scares and stupid it bullshit. I mean... This, to be fair, there was The Nun and a plethora of other retarded horror movies that Hollywood seems to be able to not hold itself back from cranking out, because horror has basically turned into this genre of just, let's just throw something scary at the screen and see if it spooks people, as opposed to having clever writing like it used to. But then again, we did see some pretty decent movies. Halloween came back with a fairly decent sequel, with Jamie Lee Curtis coming back to revise her role, and honestly, I feel like the I feel like the new Halloween movie did a good job of bringing back the terror that Michael Myers used to have, and it wasn't a half-bad sequel. I mean, at least it's better than watching Mr. Kung Fu Buster Rhymes in Part 5. There was also Strangers Pray at Night, which, despite receiving some critical backlash, I thought did a decent job of 
working off of what the original Strangers had. It was a pretty scary movie, going for a lower body count and more scares as opposed to a higher body count of more conventional horror movies that we see today. There was also A Quiet Place, which was possibly one of my favorite movies of the year. I mean, it really managed to bring back my faith in the horror genre as a whole, and you really bought the family's connection in that movie. I mean, I can't overstate it enough how much I actually managed to get invested into a horror movie with that one, and that's something that hasn't happened in a long time for me. With that in mind, there wasn't any John Wick or Kingsman movies this year, which means the action genre basically sucked. We had Mile 22 with Mark Wahlberg, which, despite me kind of having a bit of favoritism towards it, ended up totally sucking ass, let's be honest. And there's also Bruce Willis starring in a Chinese propaganda film, Airstrike, which deserves an entire podcast dedicated specifically to that film alone. I mean, I'll be honest here. That movie ended up being one of those so bad it's good movies. It's It literally came off as if somebody handed a Chinese director a script of all the American film cliches and just told him to make a movie based off of it. I mean, they literally have everything from the guy who has a picture of his family in his cockpit to the brother's revenge story to the love triangle that's pointlessly injected into it to the enemies are evil. Like, there's literally no redeeming traits for Japanese at all. They're portrayed as pure evil, which once again goes into the fact that it's a Chinese propaganda film. Not to downplay the evils committed against the Chinese people by Japan, but it, the film really overdoes it to a degree that I just can't really buy into. For starters, we see extensive uses of heavy bombers by the Japanese, which was something that they never really bought into, even though the Japanese did use heavy bombers. The wasn't really their forte. They, their doctrine preferred more for dive bombers and torpedo attacks on ships as they were mainly a naval power. And the fact that Japan didn't re rely on heavy ground strength like other powers in World War II can also be seen in their tank design as most of their tanks were designed to be small, fast, and light as opposed to heavier like the Russian and German tanks. One of the dumbest things the movie did was having it du be dubbed over entirely, which doesn't really make any sense to me, because as far as I can tell, this movie was only made for an American audience. And so if you're going to have a movie that has an American title to it, features an American actor, and is primarily distributed to American audiences, why don't you just have the characters in the movie speak in English instead of having them speak in their native languages and dubbing over it? I mean, I would much rather listen to Mandarin with English subtitles and see disconnected words from mouth movements. Speaking of film cliches that this movie was blatantly coughing off, there was also a Bruce Willis interjection, because as we know, every action movie ever has to have Bruce Willis in it, otherwise Americans won't watch it. Like, I literally, like the only selling point to this film is it has Bruce Willis in it, and Bruce Willis wasn't even really in the film. Like, all he does is stand behind a desk and say a few lines of dialogue, and there's one scene where he flies a plane. I mean, his character role literally could have been replaced by any other actor. He could have just had me replaced by a Chinese guy. What's the point of a useless subplot of having some American advisor in there? I mean, why do I keep saying I mean so much? What the fuck is wrong with me? The fact that Bruce Willis even did this movie goes to show that his standards have definitely gone down. And I'm honestly kind of disappointed in him. This film has so many useless subplots, lack of character personalization, and just stupid shit. 
Like, it's literally just a montage of film cliches, and that's actually kind of why I enjoy it, because it's to a point where it's so bad it's good, and you can just turn your brain off and watch the explosions and Chinese guys doing random stuff, and it it's kind of fun, actually. It's funny just to sit back and laugh at what an abysmal failure it is. It's because they were trying so hard to appeal to an American audience that they just failed completely. Characters are all interchangeable. There's nothing in this movie to actually make you care. The like the main characters are literally unidentifiable. There's no s distinguishing differences between them. You might as well have them all be the same person. The movie would still make as much sense. Speaking of sense, it really doesn't because it jumps from subplot to subplot so fast you barely have an idea of what's going on. And sometimes they'll introduce a plot line with this reporter chick in the beginning of a movie and then they'll completely forget about it by the end. And they had this thing with this code machine in the back of a truck that was being transported that was completely wasteless. I mean, the Cantabite scene from Last Jedi was more relevant to the story than this. Like, they literally didn't need to have the scene in there. They could have completely scrapped it. It would have made the movie shorter and it would have made it make more sense. This is one of those examples where having less is actually having more. And the biggest problem here is that they didn't they didn't dedicate any time to the characters. They don't develop the characters or make them unique enough that you actually can't identify with them. So when there's a death from a character or a character's life is in risk and you're supposed to be identifying with them, you're supposed to be fearing for them. You really don't because you just don't care. And that's the, probably one of the biggest problems. Historical inaccuracies in this film are the second thing that really threw me off as a history nerd because when you see P-40s, well, when you see when you see P-40s, they're painted completely wrong. It just makes you feel like the filmmakers were actually retarded. Speaking of retarded film writers, let's talk about Supergirl, a show that I actually kind of liked until the writers went full retard and totally ruined it. However, it's by trying to make um, allusions to modern day political issues with horrible representation. I mean, okay, I have to elaborate on that. They, tr they tried to represent aliens coming to Earth with superpowers in the same light as refugees coming to the West from third world countries, which when you're talking about superpowered interdimensional beings that can cause innumerable amounts of life and damage destruction, some of these things couldn't be contained if it wasn't for other superhumans who are stepping in to help. If Supergirl managed to just fuck off, they would be completely screwed. And trying to use this as a metaphor for immigration is possibly the stupidest thing you can do. It's almost as bad as when District 9 tried to make an apartheid illusion and ended up failing completely because if you're the prawns are supposed to represent black people all they've done is represent black people as violent idiots who can't do anything fucking reasonable in 20 fucking years when they're in the ghetto i mean when you're tr they're trying to do so good they're trying to make a good message and they're failing utterly because they're just representing the people they're trying to help as No real good way to save it. They're ended up they're demonizing the people they're trying to humanize is what I'm trying to get at, which is why the narrative all ultimately falls flat on its face and I think is just a stupid inclusion. And also you can't tell me there wasn't a country or a planet that was more technologically developed to handle alien refugees from some intergalactic war than Earth. Like seriously, Earth 
a country that hasn't even developed intergalactic travel itself yet is where all these people are coming. Like, the only reason these aliens would come to Earth is because there's the people here aren't equipped to fight back against their superpowers, and so they're easy to take advantage of, which goes to show why the villains of a show actually make a decent point, and why trying to make an immigration illusion is pointless, because all you're doing is making immigrants seem bad. You're counter making a counterproductive narrative by trying to compare something to something it's not. I mean, that's not the only retarded writing we've gotten from the show. I mean, I actually think somebody at the show is just popping pills of lead and trying to kill themselves. Either that or there's conservatives on the show who are secretly sabotaging the whole thing for shits and giggles. Either way, this script either doesn't seem like something somebody at the CW would write. It seems like something somebody on 4chan would write to make fun of people at the CW. I mean, the show literally gave us irradiating the atmosphere with lead as this critical plot point for how they defeat the Daxamite invasion in Season 2 irradiating something with lead the most even saying that makes me lose IQ just thinking of how pointlessly stupid that is I mean like how do you even do that are you making lead radioactive and putting it out everywhere I mean it just is <sighs> the people who write the show literally have no idea how radiation or science works it's mind-bogglingly infuriating infuriating is that even a word like infuriating Infior? Mindfior? No. Okay, shit. <laughs> Fucking hell. But no, like, the people who write the show literally have no idea what they're talking about, and it ultimately is unbearable for somebody like me who likes narratives that actually make sense, and when you have critical plot points revolving on something that's completely disconnected from reality, it kind of makes me want to go commit seppuku with a rusty butcher's cleaver. The show also gave us government agencies who deal with extraterrestrial beings of immense power getting rid of their guns. Do I even have to explain why that's horrible? I mean, even the IRS carries fucking handguns. Hell, fucking mall security guards sometimes carry guns. The fact that the DEO, the guys who are dealing with aliens capable of ripping people apart with their bare hands aren't going to carry rifles is ridiculous. We also demonstrate a complete lack of knowledge on how firearms work in general when Jimmy's supposedly indestructible shield gets torn apart by a few rounds from an M16. Actually, I guess it would technically be an M4, but you get my point. I mean, this shield can take hits from super-powered humans, and yet a few ball rounds from a standard semi-automatic, actually this was fully automatic, rifle is able to completely ruin it. Like, it makes no sense. And the fact that all these problems with the plot could easily be get, I mean, all these problems could easily be resolved if the people at the show just spent five minutes doing research into what they were making their episodes on instead of just writing the script up as they go along. All they could, if they just spent five minutes looking into research on ionization and radiation, they would have completely realized their mistake. They would have done a smidgen of research in on the M4 slash AR platform rifles, they would have realized that a standard issue AR-15 or M4, because this one was full auto, isn't going to be able to destroy a shield that can take a punch from Superman. And then we get to the real irony of the episode, which is when the Girl of Steel, the 
person, the one person who's literally immune to bullet fire is telling the lowly humans that they shouldn't have guns to defend themselves. And the show's trying to make an anti-Second Amendment point. But once again, going back to my point from earlier, I feel like there's somebody on the team who's a closeted Republican who's just secretly trying to sabotage the show by writing their narrative to make them look like complete asshats. Because, I mean, you can't understate the irony of a person who's bulletproof telling somebody that they shouldn't have a right to defend themselves. It's mind-bogglingly stupid, and it makes you question if the people who write the show have any idea what they're actually doing. Or if you're just smoking some pot and making it up as they go along. Which works great if you're writing a rap song or working for Jimi Hendrix. Not so much if you're trying to write a show that actually makes sense and is, has fans that expect you to do something based on a narrative and a story that they like. But on that note, I'm just getting tired of shows being politicized in general. I mean, nothing turns me off from a piece of entertainment more than when the directors of it start getting political. And speaking of which, I really hope Doom Eternal doesn't go overboard with their populist rhetoric that was seen in the trailer. And honestly, some of the stuff they were saying was pretty funny, I'm not gonna lie. I just hope they don't go overboard with it, because that might become annoying after a certain port. And I'm just, I tend to entertainment to escape the real world, you know? It's a form of escapism for me whether it be video games, TV, or movies, and when I have to have political rhetoric force-fed down my throat, it just kind of pisses me off. Like, the people in charge must think that we're babies or something, and we need to be told what to believe, otherwise we won't vote the right way if they want us to, which is just... just pisses me off that people are so entitled to think that they can just tell other people how to think, and it's really stupid, and... There's a reason why I'm glad that certain pieces of film or literature have been failing re recently. Well, not literature, but you get my point. Speaking of things fa failing miserably thanks to political backlash, Battlefield 5, aka EA's big fuck-up of the year. I mean, if telling your fans not to buy your game after they complain about it is anything... It goes to show just how much EA doesn't care about customers and only cares about money, which we really already knew. I mean, on top of that, the gameplay was subpar at best. The single player campaign that they promised us was just like Battlefield 5, watered down and shitty. The overall multiplayer gameplay didn't feel like it had enough maps or sustenance to it to actually sustain some general gameplay. And it was just generally felt like a reskinned, downgraded version of Battlefield 1, which was a game I really enjoyed. Battlefield 1 was a really fun game for me. I had a, I've probably had over 100 hours in that game alone, just messing around and seeing what I can do. And the fact that EA managed to fuck up a franchise that I've liked for some time now so horribly with their stupid bullshit is... Just another reason of why I don't like it. The biggest reason for me why I didn't like Battlefield 5 was, once again, the lack of realism. This isn't getting into the whole gender politics thing. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm talking about general overall realism. The game doesn't feel real. It feels like you're playing a cartoon. It feels like you're playing Overwatch or something like that. Like, Or, to make a better analogy, it feels more like Call of Duty than it does like Battlefield. Remember back in, like, Battlefield 4 and Bad Company 2 when, like, I'm saying win like again, aren't I? Fuck. Well, you get my point. Back in Bad Company 2, Battlefield actually felt like an immersive war game. You actually felt like you were there in a battlefield, and that's what the game's always been about. 
providing an, a realistic war simulation without going too in-depth to a simulation that becomes a chore like Arma. And the fact that EA has diverged from their core gameplay that made their game so great and went into this cartoony alternate history bullshit, which seems like something Call of Duty would pull, is once again another thing that pisses me off. Man, I'm sounding really negative in this. Okay, I swear. One more negative Nancy review coming out of me. And then we'll talk about some positive stuff for a while. Fallout 76. A.K.A. Bethesda's Hold My Beer to EA. Man. I mean, personally, I didn't like it from the first... That was one of the first few people who saw the show at EA and was like, Yeah, this isn't going well. I heard... Todd Howard announced that they're making a Bethesda, or I mean a Fallout game that was entirely online. I was like, yeah, that's not Fallout. That's ESO rebranded, and well, they gave us Elder Scrolls Online reskinned. They even have the dragons in it. And it was a glitchy, buggy mess because Bethesda still hasn't updated their engine in eight fucking years. I mean, they're using the same engine the original Skyrim in Fallout 3 ran on back in like fucking 2008. Fallout New Vegas was like the peaks, the maximum pinnacle of the creation engine. Like that game was basically the maximum, the magnum opus of what the creation engine should have been used for. But no, they're still using it today, and as much, their games are still buggy, fucked up messes. Todd Howard, you cocksucking faggot. I mean, on top of the fact that the game itself generally sucked, we also had scandal on top of scandal. From the canvas bag scandal, where they promised you a high tech. Or a high-quality, cool-looking canvas bag instead gave you a cheaply printed piece of Chinese latex. To the Nuko Dark Rum controversy. Where they promised a unique bottle of rum, and instead gave you a normal bottle of rum with a Nuka-Cola logo plastered on it inside of a plastic shell. That made it impossible to pour. And this was after constant delays because of quality standards. Why they couldn't just make a plas or a glass Nuka-Cola bottle and fill that up with the liquor is completely beyond me. It shouldn't be that hard. I've seen people do fan-made crafts from Nuka-Cola bottles before. And they should be able to do this on their own. Instead of completely fucking over the fans again. All of this while people are still mad because their only solution to the canvas bag problem was 500 in-game points to spend at the online monetary transaction score for mods that nobody literally asked for. In fact, on the, quite the opposite is true. We literally didn't ask for paid mods when Creation Club came out, and everybody got pissed about that. But no, they gave us to it to where pretty much all mods for a game, in fact, literally all mods for a game, are pay-only for their in-game store. And they gave you credits that aren't even enough to buy a character that has the bag on its skin model that they were advertising to sell to you. So yeah, if you bought the Power Armor edition of the game, you got scammed. You got a shitty map, a shitty bag, a shitty game. The only thing decent was a T-51 helmet, which I kind of liked, but... To those people who did buy the Nuka Dark Rum from Bethesda, I mean... To be fair, I kind of have to laugh at you. I mean, that's what you get for ordering your booze from a game company. Next up, I'm going to order my open-world MMORPGs from Budweiser. I bet they'd probably have a better chance of churning out a game that was decently good than Bethesda has a chance of redeeming their reputation after this fuck-up.
In addition to the game just being a buggy mess, though, it was also completely barren and empty. I mean, a Fallout game without NPCs is like... A Fallout game without NPCs is like a stripper without big tits. There's literally no point of it existing. And that's exactly what this game felt like. I mean, I honestly couldn't find anything worthwhile to actually do other than run around, loot, kill stuff, build a base, get better loot, kill more stuff, get better loot. And also they lock some of the loot off behind a level to where you have to get to a certain level before you can access a gun. Which completely negates the point of challenging yourself to fight harder top level enemies so you can get better guns because they're just going to be locked off. And they completely fucked up the one redeeming aspect of the game, which was the PvP. When you have, like, the entire selling point of the game should have been a Fallout game with PvP and multiplayer interactions where you're, in, where you're challenged to interact with other people in a competitive research, where you can team up with other people to build these awesome settlements and work together with them to conquer the wasteland. But instead, they made PvP so pointless and stupid that there's literally no point in trying because, well, if you try, you're just going to die because you can't do any damage to them until they shoot back, at which point they've probably used vats to blow your head off. So, we have a game that on the surface is completely empty of any real enriching story other than fetch quests from holotapes, which the Bethesda fanboys are still holding up as an enriching story. Yeah, if you think that searching hall tapes, going to a location, killing something and looting something is an enriching story. May I introduce you to the Radiant Quest system from Fallout 4. In other words, a settlement is in need of your help. Go get fucked. So on top of a game that basically been stripped of all of the things that make a Fallout game interesting, Bethesda decides to nerf, PV nerf PvP and make it to where you can only have like, I think it's 20 players per server. Which completely negates the point. If you're going to have a massive world where the people who populate said world are other players, wouldn't you want to have at least 100 players in there? Like, they could have made the server to where it could support at least 100 people. Like some of the servers that EA uses for Battlefield games, which are actually amazing. The ones that aren't part of Battlefield 5, which sucks, of course. But no, you have 20 people, which means on the rare occasion that you do find somebody... Working together with them to build something will be completely pointless. Because it's just going to be destroyed when you log off. And trying to fight them will be completely pointless. Because you won't be able to kill them. And trying to trade with them for something will be completely pointless. Because anything cool they have, you can just go out and get yourself with a quick grind. So imagine make a game... Imagine, basically what they did was, you know how people complained that Fallout 4 focused too much on crafting, too much on generic quests that are repetitive, and didn't have enough story or character development, and didn't have a world that was enticing enough due to its plot? Yeah, well Bethesda basically said fuck it, and gave us a game that was literally everything we were complaining about from Fallout 4. We said we didn't really like the crafting system for the most part. Or we, at least we thought it was overstated. We said that the world needed more work and the characters needed more development and the side quest needed better development because the side quests in Fallout New Vegas and 3 were great. Fallout 4, with the exception of the one quest where you're on the flying pirate ship, 
Most of the side quests in Fallout 4 really lacked the zany Fallout feel that 3 in New Vegas really captured. And so with those complaints in mind, Bethesda basically said, here you go. All of your quests are dumbed down quests you get from holotapes. There's no NPCs. The entire game is based around crafting. Go fuck yourself. And of course, some idiots still bought it. And there's still people defending it. Because Bethesda fanboys are retarded. On top of that, the nukes are completely pointless. On account of the fact that they don't actually really change the environment, they just add a hazy mist over everything and spawn some high-level enemies. If the nukes actually had a devastating long-term impact on the world, where they physically destroyed things, and left you with a radioactive crater like the glowing sea, that would be worth it. Instead, we have a temporary radiation zone with a few scorch beasts spawned in it. So basically, Bethesda took a game, a Fallout game, stripped all the things we like about it, gave us all the things we didn't like, then took the redeeming qualities of PvP, unique enemies. Well, uh, having unique enemies was one thing they actually kind of did a halfway decent job on, but no, they really didn't. They took out, they, they took PvP, crafting the nukes, working together with people, just generalize pretty much any redeeming qualities that they had, anything that this game would have had that would have made it work, and basically completely fucked up all of those. And then on top of that, they proceeded to fuck people over with what are basically borderline scams. And with all of that said, I only have one thing to say, Nazbethesda could get your shit straight because... Or better yet, sell the Fallout IP to Obsidian so they can make another Fallout game that doesn't fucking suck. I'm gonna take a brief intermission to go get some snacks. Hmm. That's enough negativity for now, I think. Where did we leave off? Fallout 76 sucks. Battlefield 5 sucks. Solo failed. If anything, the failing of these IPs if it proves anything, it's that 2018 was the year in entertainment where fans basically said, if you're not going to give us what we want, we're not going to buy your product. It's the year that companies hopefully learned that they can't just keep turning out garbage and expecting people to buy it. Now, with that said, I think it's time we move on to the honorary game awards of 2018, starting out with best game I didn't expect was going to be good. This one goes easily to, to Black Ops 4. I think, I mean, they did a decent job with the Battle Royale mode, and the multiplayer was probably the best it's been since Black Ops 2. And honestly, if anything, I feel like Black Ops has finally found what it wants to be. The, the biggest the reason why games like COD World War 2 sucked and games like well, yeah, COD World War II, Ghost, Infinite Warfare. The main reason why those people didn't like those games was because they were trying to be something they weren't. Because, honestly, over the years, Call of Duty is... Back in the Modern Warfare 2 Black Ops days, Call of Duty was about story-driven single-player campaigns with multiplayer tacked on. And recently, they've become more about weird, zany multiplayer modes with a shitty single-player story tacked on. And... When they're trying to have a serious story and the zaniness of jumpsuits and whatnot, it kind of ruined the whole aesthetic of it. And to sum it up nicely, 
Call of Duty used to be a story about soldiers in a war, and it became a story about Rambo flying around with a jetpack, blowing things up with a machine gun rocket launcher. And with that in mind, Black Ops 4 is a game about running around blowing things up with a jetpack machine gun rocket launcher. And I honestly think that's why the game is doing so good. It's because it finally found what it wants to be. With that said, I think I should probably give an honorary award for best first-person shooter of 2018. And that award goes hands down to, drumroll please, Rainbow Six Siege. Yes, I just gave the awards for best first-person shooter this year to a game that came out in 2016. Why? Because Rainbow Six Siege is still the best first-person shooter in my opinion. Um, but then again, that's entirely subjective to me. I personally just enjoy its tactical gameplay. Honestly, this year, Ubi managed to continue developing the game the way they have in previous years and, the, and by adding in new operators without completely breaking the meta. Sure, some operators haven't aren't as useful as they used to be, and many have received nerfs. And overall, the certain maps, such as House, are basically entirely pointless now. But with all that in mind, the, by adding in new operas regular, operators regularly, they've managed to extend the game's shelf life in a way I never thought was going to be possible. Uh, personally, I mean, they add free operators for everyone to play as routinely, and that's basically what keeps the community alive. I honestly thought Rainbow Six Siege was going to be one of those one-off games like Titanfall where it was really good, but the player base simply died out because it wasn't because there wasn't anything to keep people there long term. But once again, Ubisoft managed to prove me completely wrong by adding in new characters, and honestly, I like it. It keeps the game new and fresh without making things too much of a hassle. And by that, I mean without making some characters completely OP while others are completely pointless. I mean, the lion's special move was almost insanely overpowered when it first came out. It was basically wall hacks that were legalized. And they've had to edit that a little bit. There's, the game still has a few toxic elements to it, like people who vote kick you for no reason. Or if an occasional team that likes to just run out and try to spawn rush your team, that's really annoying and those people are dicks. But in spite of all that, most people who play the game generally have a pretty good attitude about it, even when you have these eight-year-old kids who have these high-pitched prepubescent voices that make you want to rip your own ears off. Even then, it's uh, as a more veteran player, I try to find the best way to deal with these people is just to try to help them get better at the game as opposed to ragging on them because they suck. And usually speaking, even though, well, every video game you play is going to have cancerous little kids who are too young to be playing the game in the first place. But, I mean... What can you do? The best thing you can do is try to help them not suck and hope for the best. Rainbow Six is still to date one of my favorite first-person shooters just because I like it. Speaking of games that came out in 2016, Hitman 2, which is what Hitman 2016 should have been but wasn't, came out this year, and I really enjoyed it. I, I think what they managed to do was, well... The developers managed to take the formula of the original game that worked and expand upon it without ruining what 
originally made the first game so great. I spent probably an entire year playing the first Hitman game. Like, I've literally spent entire days just playing that game, coming through the levels, finding every little unique assassination you can pull off. And Hitman 2 managed to bring that and a lot more. And they gave us everything we were asking for. And then they also gave us the Season 1 episodes with a re-release, which I thought was great for us who played the first game. However, honestly, the... This is what they should have done in the first place. Instead of giving us a choppy, episodic release, they should have just released... Hitman 1 and 2 should have been a full game. Everything... Those two games should have been together in a full release on day one. But at least they tried to make amends by making the first half of the game free. That being said, even though the game kind of failed at launch simply because there wasn't enough advertisement to it, I still think it's worth a play. So if you haven't got it yet, I would suggest getting it. And of course, how can I talk about gaming this year without bringing up E3, which gave us some of the best trailers we've seen, some of which proved to be failures, some of them proved to be successes, and other ones are yet to come out. And I will talk more about the games I'm looking forward to next year in my upcoming video, which is going to be released the day after this one. Basically, it's going to be a 2019 a year in preview which is basically, basically me talking about what I'm going to do with that year, so stay tuned for that if you actually like me bragging on for eight hours with no script, just making up bullshit as I go along. But with that said, I think E3 this year... E3 this year managed to... I feel like it kind of pulled back to what E3 used to be. It's kind of become too much of an over-corporate event lately. Where it's more about selling the companies to, it's more about selling the companies to investors than it is about selling games to the audience. I feel like E3 did a good job. We had Cyberpunk, Ghost of Shima, Starfield, and a couple other notable ones which I thought were great. And once again, I'll be talking about those all in my upcoming video. And by video, of course, I mean podcast. But, of course, I couldn't talk about great video games this year without talking about some of the best ones. There was, of course, God of War coming back after a couple-year hiatus. And the new God of War was one of the most cinematic games of the year. It was amazing. And, well, there's not much more that can be said about it that hasn't already been said. It was a great game. Everybody loved it. If you don't have PlayStation, you didn't play it, go fuck yourself. That goes to Xbox fanboys in particular. Who the hell am I kidding? I The whole console rivalry is stupid. I don't get why people have to rag on others for their choice of game console. People can just play whatever they want to play. I don't see the point of hating somebody just because they don't have the same setup as you. And when it comes to best games of this year, of course... Red Dead Redemption 2, hands down, can't be understated how amazing that game was. The well-anticipated return to one of the best games of all time, and certainly the best cowboy shooter of all time. Red Dead Redemption 2 managed to impress everybody and then some. The game was everything I wanted and, well, everything I wanted and then some. The fact that, that single-action revolvers require you to pull the trigger twice, once to cock the hammer and the other one to fire it, was almost made me nut as a f historical firearms enthusiast. 
this having a difference between double and single action revolvers that you can see in game was really great. Honestly, hands down, the Borchard is probably the best pistol in the game just because it's the only pistol that feeds from a magazine. In fact, the only weapon in the game that feeds from a magazine, which automatically, hands down, gives it an advantage over the others. Well, it's not the only weapon in the game that has a magazine. It's the only weapon in the game that has a detachable box magazine, but that's all pointless. My point is, the game was great. I feel like a lot of people complained that the controls were too clunky, but I thought that's what made it great. The fact that it's very realistic, and once you get the hang of the control setup, it's there's no other game that can top the level of immersion that Red Dead has. I mean, it's the only game where eating, smoking, and getting drunk as fuck are all mechanics of the game. And I think those things alone are what makes it great. Just the little moments where you can just have a smoke out in the middle of the woods. Well, looking over a scenic valley, and then jump into a high-stakes train robbery while you're running across the top of a train, dual-wielding volcanics, blowing motherfuckers' heads off. The fact that a game manages to combine action with quiet cinematic moments is, in my opinion, what makes it one of the best games of this year. And despite the fact that it seems like it's already being ruined by the standard clickbaity bullshit live streamers who ruined GTA 5 by making their annoying incessant content for four-year-olds typical gamer I'm looking at you the game still holds a very special place in my heart especially with the great soundtrack that it had I mean for a game to have an all-original soundtrack and still come out that great that was lovely the musical scores especially at the end are just perfect the Arthur's ending for the good karma ending for Arthur was honestly one of the best game endings I've ever seen. It seemed like a good send-off of a character all in all. There was probably nothing, there's probably not been a single game ending like that that I've enjoyed more. It felt like a good way for Arthur to go out. Arthur Morgan instantly became one of the best video game characters I've ever had the honor of playing as an now holds a special place in my heart right next to all of my other favorite game characters. Hands down, he certainly managed to live up to the reputation set up by John Morrison's character. I feel like trying to say which Red Dead Redemption is better than the other is kind of pointless because they're both great. Honestly, I can't really put one above the other. They're both amazing stories that do amazingly. Gameplay and graphics-wise, yeah, Red Dead Redemption 2 wins because it's had modern hardware. But story-wise, both games are equally amazing, and they both deserve a 10 out of 10 rating, which is the only rating I reserve for the best of games. To give you an idea of how rare it is for me to give a game a 10 out of 10, only two games of the last two years have gotten a 10 out of 10. It goes to, of course, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Assassin's Creed Origins. Speaking of Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Odyssey came out this year, and, well, it's a great world. It managed to take the Origins formula and expand upon it and make a new game out of it. And it did everything I wanted it to do, take the Origins formula and make it better. And that's what it did. It's a great world, very beautiful, very cinematic, very immersive. I mean, there's points in the game where you can just take all your armor off and just walk around as a normal civilian and take in the Greek world, and I think that's great. 
That being said, full confessions, I never actually completed the game. Eventually I got to a point about halfway through the game where I just quit because there was too much stuff to do and I got over encumbered. And I was just like, this is giving me anxiety. Fuck this shit, I'm out. And then right about time I was ready to start back up again, Red Dead Redemption 2 came out and that's and I had to basically delete it off my hard drive to make room for that one. So I never actually beat Odyssey, but that said, there's enough of the game for me to save it. it is a truly great experience even if I never had the gall to finish it just due to time constraints and the fact I didn't want to. I mean with all of that said 2018 was honestly a great year for gaming. 2017 I can't really say the same for honestly I mean there just wasn't looking back on 2017 I can't really think of a game outside of Origins that was that great. And I'm honestly glad that 2018 turned out to be a great year for us gamers. Hmm. I mean, but that's enough fun gaming for now. I mean, back to the year and as a whole. Obviously, I can't talk about 2018 without talking about the midterms, which, spoiler alert, I'm not going to talk about because, as I mentioned earlier, I promised myself I'm not going to get political in this one. However, with that said... One thing about the midterms I can say is that they prove if they prove anything is that the Trump train definitely still has some pull to it. I mean, if anything, the midterms were a win for the right. And well, I know what you're thinking now. How could it be a win if they lost a house? Well, let me explain. It's normal on average for the party that wins the control of the executive branch in the mainstay presidential election to lose control of the legislative branch entirely in the midterms. It's just normal. It happens. It's just, it buys into how the political system works with the two party system and the fact that 40%, well, really 80% of people in the country will vote for either party regardless of who's running and regardless of what's being said simply because they don't care or they've been brainwashed into the point of extremism where they believe that the other party is evil and by voting one way is the only way that the country is going to be saved. Because, spoiler alert, the average American populace really doesn't care about politics and will just vote for whatever the TV tells them to. But the thing that makes the midterms interesting is that even though Republicans lost the House, they managed to keep the Senate, which honestly is an astounding victory when we consider the fact that historically speaking they should have lost control of the legislative branch entirely the fact that they managed to maintain both house and senate and get another republican justice on the supreme court just goes to show that the republicans despite the fact that you don't really hear about in the media because they don't like to say that they're losing of course when i talk about them losing i mean the democrats because let's be honest the media's pretty much completely biased in favor of the left but 2018 really was a year where republicans continued to win will this continue in 2019 i'm not sure will trump win again in 2020 i don't know i'm kind of tired of having a president who seems stupid but then again yeah i don't really know what's actually going on inside of his mind all trump to me comes off more as 
a rich guy who doesn't care what he says because he's never had to watch his mouth before. He's got money. Nobody's going to mess with him. He can say whatever he wants. So unlike most career politicians, he doesn't watch his mouth. Which is why it's easy to make the guy look like an asshole. However, that being said, I guarantee you that the majority of politicians are just as retarded as he is. The only reason we don't know it is because they managed to keep the stupid opinions that are more controversial to themselves. If anything, once again, I believe I said this to a friend when we were having a conversation once that it's not that Donald Trump is worse than any other president in history, it's just the fact that you always hear about his fuck-ups. The media never reported on it whenever Obama or Bush failed, but you always hear about it when Trump fails because, well, they've painted him as their arch enemy, and there's really is a cultural war going on between Trump and the media, which is quite hilarious, honestly. For, I mean, we're in the world we're seeing in the United States president are fighting over who gets to be top dog, and I just can't help but sit back and laugh at both of them as for being completely ridiculous morons. I feel like I should probably clarify, when I say morons, I don't necessarily mean that I think Trump himself is an idiot. I think politicians in general are idiots. I mean, let's be real here. Most politicians are elected into office based on popularity as opposed to anything else. The number one, statistically speaking, the number one thing that determines whether or not a candidate wins an election isn't the positions they run on or how educated they are or what their policy is, it's how much people like them. And that goes to show you why the majority of people we have in power are idiots. Because more often than not, people who are idiots vote for other idiots. Man, I'm sounding really negative in this podcast. I mean, it's not that the average American is totally retarded, it's just that they don't care to actually educate themselves on politics or what's going on in the world. They just read their local newspaper or look at their Twitter news updates and don't actually give mind to actually any critical thinking. That's mostly the school system's fault because the American school system doesn't teach kids critical thinking. It teaches kids how to be mindless drones who do repetitive tasks over and over again. It's it's literally, schools literally program people into basically being robots. Once again, that's a topic for an entirely different podcast. In fact, I think now that I've said that, I'm going to do a podcast called Everything Wrong with America. The bullshit behind it all. But I'll have to save that on my calendar for another date. It should be stated that I love America. I just hate the people who seem hell-bent on destroying what makes America great and turning it into a dystopian nightmare. If my voice has sounded kind of off this episode, it's because I'm toying around with a new microphone setup. I managed to get up a couple, I got some new recording equipment for Christmas, so I've been playing around with that a little bit, so if you're hearing a variation in the audio quality here, that might have something to do with it. Let's see, what else do we have to talk about this year? Oh yes, the memes. The memes were brilliant. I mean, we started off pretty strong with Tide Pods and Logan Paul's discovering a hanging body. And we finished strong with Chungus, and now I can't remember any other memes. We got, we, got, we got some great songs this year that were highly memeable. 
Got Everybody's Famous, Mo Bamba by Jack West and Sicko Mode by Travis Scott, which were both pretty dope. In fact, there was a, some pretty decent rap songs that came out this year. I know Eminem and there's a pretty good, there's a pretty nice beef this year. She gave us some great diss tracks. Eminem, MGK went at it and Eminem gave us one of Kill Shot, which was one of the best rap diss tracks of the decade so far, that is. And Joyner Lucas and Tory Lanez went at it and also came out with some pretty good disses. And so, all in all, I was pretty impressed with that. But then again, pretty much everything that Joyner Lucas puts his name on comes out good. The guy's a modern-day rapper. He's basically the new generation of Eminem. I don't know. For whatever reason, I didn't really pay attention to hip-hop that much for the first half of the year. I don't know why. I guess I just wasn't in a mood to listen to rap this year. But, with that said, all in all, I mean, I can't, I have to say it was a decent year for music. I mean, we had Justin Timberlake put out his horrible song at the beginning. Like, if you want to talk about fuck-ups, the man who brought Sexy back had to drag it through the alleyway and shoot it in the back of a head Gestapo style. Post Malone was everywhere. Post Malone, a rapper who I originally liked, has sort of lost all of his credibility. Like, Congratulations and White Iverson were pretty decent. Um, Psycho was... Psycho has probably been my least favorite song of his so far. I even liked... I liked Rockstar. I thought some of his recent ones that came out this year, like Psycho and... What was that one? Jackie Chan, the one where he talked about all like the... Sushi from Japan, Asian shit. I just, I just couldn't get into those. They just seemed too stupid. I don't know. Here, I hope Post comes out with some better shit in 2019 because his 2018 stuff kind of disappointed me a lot based off of what he had done in the past. Oh yeah, and Childish Gambino came out with This Is America, which was another well-memed thing. Ironically, Childish Gambino's music video wasn't getting memed until Vice News started telling everybody not to meme it. That ironically triggered memes for it to come out of the woodwork. So good going. Once again, I feel like God, so you could create an entire YouTube series on episodes of Vice not understanding the internet. In fact, the biggest thing about, about the mainstream media misunderstanding the internet is they don't seem to understand that the more you tell people not to do things on the internet, the more they want to. They also don't seem to understand that you can't force people not to. The more you try to force somebody out of the spotlight, the more they're going to keep coming back. It's what the trolls thrive off of. You can't fight somebody who enjoys being fought. You're just empowering them. It's like trying to fight Aries. The more violence you use, the more it empowers them. But that's enough on that. Just as a quick side note, if anyone's wondering why this is coming out in 2019 instead of 2018, it's because I'm a lazy fucker and also I had to leave for a doctor's appointment and so I just now got back home because I had to go out of town. If that said, look forward to my... If you enjoyed this podcast, look forward to for my next one which is going to be 2019, a year in preview, which is me going to talk about what I'm looking forward to in 2019, as well as what's happened in the first week of the next year. In addition to doing some more looking back on 2018 and trying to predict what I think may happen as far as the world goes. But 
With that said, I think I have my final sponsor for today's episode, my personal favorite pharmaceutical company. Fuck off. Does life have you down? Are you ever bored at work or at home? Just take a big bottle of fuck off. <laughs>